what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am a co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And since there's a co in front of my name, that insinuates that there is another person that is also holding that co-title. And he's right here on the other side of the table, Chris Fry. How are you Hello, doing, Chris? Hello, everyone. I am doing fine. Speaking of the uh, Foot Candle Film Festival that we are co-directors of, we actually, believe it or not, even though it's not until September of 2021, we have opened up submissions That's right. for the festival. So we've already done that. So you can find us on Film Freeway. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that on the podcast. So... uh Yes. Yeah. Please do that. If any you filmmakers interested. out there, anybody who has a film they want to try to get submitted to festivals, we'd love to see it and consider it for next year's festival. So awesome. But uh, but today we're here to talk about films that you can watch right now, not ones you'll see at our festival next September. Uh, Foot Candle Films, we get together, we talk about some new release films, we review them. We also, in this particular episode, have some news to share with you, some different movie-related production news, maybe some directors doing some new projects, uh, especially given the state of movie making and movie distribution these days. It's encouraging to hear when there's some exciting, interesting projects still coming on the, on the horizon. And then Chris and I always finish up our episode with our recommendation, a film we want to recommend Um Mine, I'll go ahead and tease, a little bit of a holiday spirit to it since we are going into Thanksgiving and we're a month away from Christmas. I'll be throwing out one a little more holiday theme this time. I do not know what Chris is recommending. We'll leave that as a nice surprise for the <laughs> end of the episode. Okay. But Chris, we Fair have enough. two films to review today. We'll be first off discussing the film The Personal History of David Copperfield. Uh, that is the latest telling of the Charles Dickens classics tale starring Dev Patel. And then we'll be moving into a documentary called The Donut King, uh, all about Ted Nogoy and his uh, building his donut empire and the ups and downs of that uh, that story. Uh, but first, Chris, let's go ahead and talk about our first film to review. As I mentioned, it is The Personal History of David Copperfield. Whether I turn out to be the hero of my own story or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these moments must show. My boyhood days seem now like a scarcely believable fiction. London is full of wonders and wickedness. And it's ours, David, to go wherever we choose. Well, I'm not down there. Creditors make that road impossible. Two tailors and a most unreasonable muffin man. Top of field! Your mama is ill. How old is she? Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Dangerously ill. She's dead. We're very sorry. David Copperfield, I'm your nephew. You're the only family I have. What do we do with him? If I were you, I'd wash him. Oh, donkeys! This is a donkey-free zone! Move it! You're a remarkable woman. Very kind. You had nothing, then you had something, and now you got nothing again. So stands to write you'll have something again. You were staring. Is there something wrong with me? No. 
I apologize for my rudeness. Think nothing of it, sir. He speaks very well. It was actually me. Oh, Romeo, do some work. Oh, good morning! Do you know what I want? A straight jacket, a husband? <laughs> Feels like a party. This narrative is far more than mere fiction. It is, in fact, written memory. And you'll have quite the ride on the way. Chris, with the personal history of David Copperfield, we have a more modern take and a little bit of a more... Uh, interesting take on the Charles Dickens classic tale of a young orphan who's able to triumph over many obstacles along the way. The story is told from David Copperfield's perspective as he's documenting and kind of coming about a way to write down his story and create the actual David Copperfield story novel. Uh, it stars Dev Patel as uh, David Copperfield. We have a litany of other really esteemed actors and uh, great names in this cast. Uh, Tilda Swinton, Hugh Laurie, Peter Capaldi, Ben Wishaw, among many, many others. Uh, Chris, I'll go ahead and tell you. I, you know, I think we've talked about this before when we reviewed the films like Emma. Uh, there's one we reviewed uh, a couple of years ago that Kate... Uh, Kate Beckinsale was that in. the Young Victoria? No. no it was another one. Um, Which one was the one with Kate Beckinsale? I know what you're talking about. I know. We're drawing a blank. But anyway, the idea of these period dramas that are also kind of comedic and, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe based on some, some literary work. Um, I've enjoyed them, but I always find them to be, tend to be a little on the confusing side with a huge cast of characters and a lot of different uh, machinations going on in the story. But generally found them to be pretty fairly enjoyable along the way um, with this particular film directed by Armando and uh, who I did a little reading up on. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you knew this, Chris, but the director of this film uh, is best known as a writer and he's written death of Stalin. Oh, and directed that one. So yeah. Uh, Veep, the actual TV show, uh, uh, political TV show in the loop, the thick of it. He was a writer for all of those. Okay. Yeah. So he is directing this Charles Dickens uh, tale in a little bit more modern take with some humor, with some drama. Um, I'm curious, Chris, you know, when you look at films like Emma that we reviewed a while back, even if I wanted to say um, Enola Holmes, similar kind of idea based on a literary work, younger character, kind of a faster pace with comedy and drama mixed in. How does this one kind of fare with some of those uh those retelling of some 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 uh, literary works. So first off, I'll, from the help of Google, Love and Friendship was the name of the Kate. Love Beckinsale. and Friendship. Yeah. That's right. Gotcha. Um, okay. So yeah, how does this fare in like comparison to some of those others? Um, you know, I remember when we reviewed Emma, we start off saying, "You well, at least I'll speak for me. I'm not a period piece person. Yeah. That that right off the bat, I'm just I'm not a period piece person." Uh, period piece with comedy sometimes helps me like it a little better. And you and I were both favorable on Emma. Mm-hmm. Um, coming to this, you know, I saw the cast of characters 
And that made me excited. But then you also get worried like, okay, is it star loaded just because they all wanted to work with Anucci or they like the story? You know, it's like, what's, what's the deal? Um, but I was surprised really about how well it worked. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, I mean, it does have serious parts in the story, but there is some lightheartedness and light touches to it. And Dev Patel, I thought was, this is probably the best thing I've ever seen him do. Um, He was really good. Um, And also to me overall, I felt like, and this could, this could make you think, okay, this is the movie for me, or this is not the movie for me. Um, It was like a period piece told by a mashup of Michelle Gondry and Tim Burton of the Mm -hmm. early nineties, kind of like, you know, in their heyday type thing. That's what this is. Now, if you hear that and you're like, Oh, Oh no, then yeah, maybe this isn't for you because it does like you're saying, take some risks and some ways of shooting things very creatively. Um, and then there's like the Hamilton type casting that they do. So some people are like, nah, I just, I just want it told normally. And if so, this is not for you, but I found it to be rather enjoyable. I love this movie. Oh, good. I really, <laughs> I, I had such a good time with this movie. I, it redeemed my faith in uh, period dramas uh, based on novels, <laughs> okay. uh, classic novels. Uh, I am not familiar with the David Copperfield story. So, you know, that in itself was kind of, uh, I was going into this very fresh. Okay. Um, a little trepidatious because it's the things you talked about as well. You know, it's a period drama. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of, a lot of plot going on. Mm-hmm. But yet, I think the pace, the tone, and really the acting, and I agree with you, Dev Patel was really, really good in this film. Mm-hmm. It's a shame this film's not going to get a lot more attention and release because I think he's actually, he really shows some great work in this film. Everybody does. I think the acting across the board is really strong. It came out August 2020, which basically meant all online. I yeah, guess. exactly. Yeah. I mean, everybody's good in this film. I think everybody's giving it a, a great, uh, great shot. Uh, even the bigger, you know, Tilda Swinton, Hugh Laurie, so good, all of them. Mm-hmm. But Dev Patel was really, really shown in this film. So I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I love, you know, knowing that it was the director and writer of The Death of Stalin, which I also love. I think right. it's a wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. And Death of Stalin did that same idea where it had to take a very serious, dramatic situation and still infuse it with enough biting humor to make it enjoyable. Right. And it worked. This is very similar in that, yes, you, you could get wrapped down with all of the drama and just the grief and the misery that David Copperfield goes through. But it was really funny. I yeah. mean, there were moments that were, I felt, laugh out loud funny for me, dialogue. It was more comedic timing. Sure. I think it's just the director knowing how to write the lines and how to like pace them just right to where it gets the maximum effect uh, from a humor standpoint. Um, yeah, I really had a great time with this. I, I found myself laughing out loud. I found myself actually following what was going on. Um, <laughs> that's, that's always nice. Yeah. I mean, Especially if you haven't read change. the source material. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Um, I will say there's a, there's some things, I mean, it's still got a little confusing at points. It's still got a little, a lot of characters, a mm-hmm. lot of people thrown in the mix. It, it was a tough, it's a lot to keep up with and it's a little bit of a heavy lifting to kind of follow the story. Sure. Um, and it's, it was a little impacted by the fact, too, that Peter Capaldi and Hugh Laurie look very, very, very similar. Yes, they do. 
<laughs> that threw me off a few Both times. Both playing really funny, quirky characters, yes. too, which doesn't help. I know. Yeah. So a couple of times I'm like, all right, which one was this again? Because they look really similar in the film and they're both made up to look very similar to each other. Yeah. Is this so. the, you know, quirky, pretty much homeless guy? Yeah. Or is this the quirky uncle dude that right. is like going crazy, writing things about which king who has his head chopped <laughs> off? Like which, which one is this? <laughs> right. Yeah, so. Even you describing the whole, his fascination with, uh, with the King George. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. Think. was, uh, God, so funny. Um, yeah, it, it still was a little confusing. It was still a period drama. It was still a lot of names and people to keep up with. And who was this Mr. and Mrs. and Lord and whoever. <laughs> but uh, if you can kind of get past that. And after a while, I kind of just didn't worry about following Sure, that. I just wanted to see scene to scene. Right. And it was terribly enjoyable. Uh, I've seen some criticism online after watching it last night. That I think there's some people that feel like it's maybe too whimsical and too fast paced and all that. But it's what, this is what I needed to sure. really enjoy this type of film. I need it to go fast. I need it to be really uh, creative. Mm -hmm. And I thought the transitions, like you talked about, whenever we're going from David Copperfield's mind, writing his story to the actual telling of his story, the transitions they would use to blur that were really pretty creative. Oh, yeah. um, there's one scene where, uh, David Copperfield is a young boy is being shipped off somewhere on a train. And basically the people, his caretakers are telling him this in his bedroom. And then all of a sudden a train just wishes through the bedroom and he's gone. <laughs> and he's gone. I'm like, okay, so that, that, that happened, that transition. <laughs> right. uh, another one where you see a giant hand reach into a house that they're staying in. And you realize that that's because somebody's coming in and wrecking it, you know, or, or demolishing that setup they've got. It's just some really creative touches that, you know, like you said, is very Michelle Gondry mm -hmm. type of feel to or it. Or Terry yeah. Gilliam type. Yeah, That's Terry Gilliam, of... a little bit of Burton-esque. Yeah. I mean, it was, I just, man, I had a good time with this film. I really did. Yeah, I think um, if I was to state a negative about it, and there again, this is a, an example where I'm not familiar with the source material. Mm. I, knew, I knew there was a book, but I'd never read it. And actually, I think that may have helped me in some ways because I wasn't bound up with like how they're changing it. So that was kind of a nice thing. Yeah. But at the end, especially I'll say in the last maybe third, I felt like some things were maybe a little rushed um, mm -hmm. specifically. And I don't know because I don't know how they are in the book. But um, Ben Wishaw as Uriah Heap, there's a really interesting dynamic going on with his relationship to David Copperfield. And maybe it's just because I wanted to see more Ben Wishaw, yeah. <laughs> but um, I felt like that was, you know, it felt like it should have been a more significant plot point, but because of everything else going on, it just kind of, you know, it wasn't. And I, I wish that would have been a little bit more. I, this is a rare instance. I won't say it's the first I've ever done on the podcast. We'll have to get our intern to look into it. The movie was two hours. This is a rare instance where I'll say, I might have been able to see two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. You know, I could have maybe used a 30 more minutes just to kind of give some more characters some breathing time. Like, you know, kind of differentiating <laughs> Mr. Macabish or whatever his name was mm -hmm. and Uncle Dick or whatever his name was. Like yes. The two, Peter Capaldi and Hugh Laurie, differentiating those characters, giving a little bit more time to breathe maybe. Like, maybe that would have done it or because they look so much alike, maybe I wouldn't have. But yeah. Um, it's a rare instance where, like you're saying, I really enjoyed it and I would have enjoyed a little bit more time and maybe that would have helped the clarity of the story for me. Yeah, I, I think they were they, – I, I got the impression, again, not being familiar with the source sure. material, I get the impression they tried to put everything that was in the book in this film. 
and it did take two hours and it was really fast paced. And I agree the last five minutes, I actually, the very last scene of the movie, when it just kind of ends, I'm like, okay, and it's done. It's done. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, they really didn't want to waste a moment, you know, in the film. And yeah, there's some things did feel a little rushed towards the end. I agree with you on that. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, actually you mentioned the end. There's hints that that's, how it may you think like oh i bet this is going to happen with these two people and then at the end it's like oh yep and here we are and it's yeah. done <laughs> here it is these two are together and, and the end and scene and then yeah, yeah i was kind of like wait what so that it did happen and we're done so but i still liked it yeah 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 i uh I, I will call out a couple of scenes that i think uh carry forward that same spirit that I love so much about um, the death of Stalin. Okay. And that is a film. It's a scene that is both dramatic and upsetting, but yet handled in a way that you can't help but laugh. And to me, it's a scene where uh, Dev Patel is David Copperfield's working in the bottle factory. Yes. And his previous caretakers, the one who sent him off to work there, come to visit to tell him news about his mother. Oh, and it's very upsetting news, but yet the way it was delivered was so funny, like depressingly funny, like right. like darkly funny. But that's exactly the kind of scene where it's just, yes, okay, I get it. You're both upset and angry, and this is a very upsetting scene, but yet the way it was handled was just so written so comedically well. You know, it's like, we're here to tell you about your mother. She's very sick. It's like, okay. Well, she's really sick. sick. I don't think we've told you quite how bad she, she's dead. I need, I need to go <laughs> right. see her. Oh, you know, and it's just this building, building, building. Right. And it's just both funny, but also just heartbreaking. And I think, uh, yeah, I look back to death of Stalin and so many of the scenes there. I mean, when people are getting executed and killed, but yet it's done with this way that you just kind of have to laugh about it. Uh, I saw so much of that same touch as here and it, and it just worked for me. So, yeah, I guess maybe, you know, I would never have picked, Annucci to do this film because Death of Stalin in the loop, a lot of it's profanity laden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is PG. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it'd be a great movie to watch with your family over Thanksgiving. Um it's very PG, you know, it's, but some of the I think the comedy, what you can see maybe the translation of Ianucci is A the fast paced, but B like you're saying it's humorous and some of it is light, but some of it is kind of dark. Like that yeah, scene you're talking that scene you're talking about is really you know, it is, it's funny, but it's funny in a dark well, way. And there's a scene. I mean, I was like, I was kind of surprised with the PG rating, honestly, because really? there was a scene where kind of traumatic. He's um, being beaten, when beaten he, as yeah. a kid. Yeah. Um, never see it explicitly, but you, but you, you know, you get the sense of what's going on. Right. There's some very light jokes about suicide, especially with one of the, I think it was Mr. McCalber. Yeah. Um, so just some moments that I thought pushed the boundary a little bit, but sure. I will say, I mean, I agree with you. I do think it's something a family can watch. Right. And especially if you want uh, your family to kind of be knowledgeable about the David Copperfield novel, this is a great way to like sure. really understand that story. And it's incredibly entertaining. So, um, yeah, I'm actually really, I want to see this again. I actually <laughs> may watch this again over the holidays. Okay. I had such a good time go. with it. So, um, trying to think what else here with this. Um, yeah, I mentioned the uh, Tilda Swinton had a part which I did not know she was in the film even when oh, I started wow. watching it. And uh she was good. I mean, you know, she was Tilda Swinton. She, she was, was playing know. a very like quirky type character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who doesn't like donkeys? Yeah. 
which you know they never really explained that, which I was, but I was actually, okay, okay with that. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> like, you don't like donkeys, okay? Yeah. <laughs> even her first appearance during the uh, well, again, this is kind of even talking about the creative side of this film, that I love so much. You know, when you start to realize in the first five minutes that David Copperfield is telling his story, writing it down, and actually we see him initially reciting it to an audience, mm-hmm. we realize he's writing it, but then he's running. We see a scene of him running to the place where he's being born, right. which I think is just, again, very creative. Sure. He's running to get there in time to see himself be born. Right. He's standing over the shoulder of everyone as he's being born. And uh, and then Tilda Swinton's there as well. And it's just it's some great moments. And sure. I think uh, right away, that first five minutes told you, we're going to play around with the storytelling devices here a little bit. And we're going to have some fun with it. And uh, I was hooked right away once they started doing that. So it was great. Um, yeah, I've, I've got very little negative feedback on this film. I had such a good time with it. And, uh, other than it still being a tad on the confusing side, sure, a lot of characters, a lot of names. I really wish they had made Hugh Laurie and Peter Capaldi look somewhat different from one another. (laughs) (laughs) That would have helped considerably. Um, but otherwise I I just had a great time with this film. I love the pace. I love the timing. I love the comedy. Um, and even the end as rushed as it was, was very touching and moving and just, you know, it worked. So, uh, I think this is one of those films that I liked it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I think on a second revisit, which I'm hoping to do over the holidays as well with the family, I think I'll like it more because then I know the plot beats and I can just totally sit back. Like you were saying, and let it wash over you and not worry about, wait, who's this person? Yeah. (laughs) So I think I think it'll probably go up a little in my estimation. So so I do have to call out one actress. Okay. And I'm trying to make sure I'm pulling out the right one because okay. this actress it looks like played two different parts. Oh really? Okay. Huh. I'm interested to see. Who. So Morfid Clark. Okay. Who played plays Dora Spinlow? Dora. Okay. That's the girl that David Copperfield. Proposes to right. later in the film the singer. The, the singer, but she also played Clara Copperfield, which would have been his mom. Yeah, right. Huh. Which I didn't realize. I that. didn't realize that either. Because I think in the movie Dora has blonde hair. Yes, and the mom has dark hair. So yes. obviously wigs. But she's listed as playing both parts. I didn't realize that. So I do want to call her out because a she played both parts that really was, good. Yes, and mm-hmm. I did really love the character of Dora. I just think it was. <laughs> Um, added a lot to the comedic uh, tone of the film, but also her last moment in the film. I, I'm not going to spoil it, but just uh, you know, her exiting you, the story. You know, in an interesting, was really nicely, just a nicely touched. Dime. And you know what it reminds me of? It, I thought of it. I didn't think of it at the moment, but I thought, huh, that's kind of reminiscent of something I've seen recently. It's actually kind of reminiscent in the moment in Emma where Emma's having this like party and they're playing a game and she does something not nice to somebody. And it's kind of like a really big like mm-hmm. character thing. And it really strange. Yeah. The final scene with Dora, she's communicating back and forth with David. And it's like, eh, and it's kind of like a, but it, it humanizes the yeah. other character. Like it humanized Dora and you're like, okay. I get it. And remove. And like in that garden thing, it was like that woman made Emma realize I'm a real person. Like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and so it was that whole thing. Yeah. So that, that was really, well, even really the scene cool preceding that the big kind of climax with the Ben Wishaw character that we mm-hmm. talked about, she's there. And at one point she even says to, why am I here? Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I have no, no bearing in the scene whatsoever. And you're like, 
yeah, you're right. You don't. <laughs> We're not sure why you're here either. And it's just, I yeah. love that playing with the, the, the storytelling uh, device. And uh, Sure. Yeah. Okay. Have I know, Have I done gloating about this film? No, I, I, it's nice to hear us both be on the same page with a film of equal, you know, equal measure. Sounds like I just I am disappointed because I just don't think it's getting quite the love from a lot of other critics. And unfortunately, audiences are just not going to see it. I mean, it's just uh, you know, it actually technically was a 2019 film that just finally got some release this gotcha. year. And you know, it's I tried think to they play were planning. Theaters. Yeah, they're playing. I think theaters. they were planning on it being a big thing. I think it could then, have been a big movie, yeah. but um, ah, disappointing. Just yeah. another another victim of this situation, unfortunately. But uh, I hope more people get a chance to see it when it's available online for people to watch. Well, I think they um, are pushing it for awards, even though it may not get nominated for any. So hopefully yeah. it'll get some love. Somehow. I hope so, too. So that is David Copper, the personal history of David Copperfield, directed by Armando Anushi, um, and, of course, based on the Charles Dickens classic tale. That is available... Is it available anywhere right now, Chris, or is it going to be available soon? Um, that is a good question. I don't think it's available quite yet. I thought it was going to go video on demand. Maybe by the time they release this, it'll be video on demand. Um, we'll come back to that yeah. here. Just stay tuned. <laughs> we'll we'll let you know you. once we get a break <laughs> in the uh, how our intern looked that up for us. Sure. We'll let you know if it's available. I think it. I think actually by the time we're recording this, I think it is available for people to rent now. So anyway, we both definitely encourage you to check it out. It is uh, worth your time. We, we had a good time with it. All right, Chris, let's move on to our second review, which is a documentary called The Donut King. Donut time. Great tasty. <laughs> Uncle Ted has a very interesting reputation in our family. What I heard about him was that he had a lot of money and had a lot of donut shops. Dunkin' Donuts found it so hard to break into the L.A. market that in the late 90s, they gave up. They called me Donut King. Ted opened up 70 donut shops and he gave Cambodian refugees a chance to really make it in America. I sponsor more than 100 families. It spread like wildfire, you know, so fast, so fast. One time, he estimates his wealth at something like $20 million. President Bush Sr. flew from the White House to give me a presidential award for achieving American dream. Life was good. Imagine a man with nothing, penniless, come to the most powerful country in the world, and he built something. I lost everything. Believe me, everything. He wasn't the perfect man. They lost all these donut shops because of gambling. He would do anything for money. It just got worse and worse. If I report it, he goes to jail. What the hell is going on? Uncle Ted brought us here to survive. We're a country built by immigrants. And I believe they will make a contribution to a better America. The Donut King tells Ted Nagoy's story that is one of fate, love, survival, hard knocks, and redemption. That sounds like a pretty heavy tagline for a movie that sounds like it's just going to be about a guy making donuts. And that's totally what I expected, probably to be hungry after watching the first 30 minutes or so. It is a nice tight hour and 30, so it's 90 minutes, nothing too heavy for you. Um, But... Uh, Alan, did this come across as just a typical food documentary for you about a guy making donuts? Or did you find there was a little bit more to chew on? Oh, that was nice. Um, I, this was a, this was a good documentary. 
you know, you take a look at a documentary and what's a, what's the, the, the job of a documentary? A documentary is to help us learn and, and be informed and be educated about maybe a topic that we'd like to know more about or we're not as versed in to begin with. Uh, a lot of times it's telling a story that hasn't been told or, or a real story that people haven't heard. Um, and it's also to kind of you know entertain. You hope a good documentary is entertaining. Sure. And from that standpoint, this does check all those boxes. It is a story that I was not aware of about this uh, this gentleman and his his history and starting really you know, so much of what we know as the donut uh, chain and shop uh, situation now. A lot of that is attributed to him. I mean, he created the pink donut boxes just to make them stand out. He, uh, which I don't. Uh, living in North Carolina and being very familiar with Krispy Kreme, I never knew like the whole pink thing. I mean, I, I saw it on The Simpsons, which they do a brief clip yeah. of, but I never knew. I never knew that was really such a big thing. Yeah. And yeah, I guess he started it. So. Well, and then the uh, uh, so many of the Cambodian uh, people owning donut shops, and that's right. still being something that's kind of still very prominent today. So there's a lot of things to learn from this. Um, a lot of things to understand. And it was also entertaining in that the film was made, uh, especially in the first half, very bright, very uh, bouncy, very uh, a lot of great archival footage, a lot of great historical footage to kind of count, uh, balance everything. So it did all that. Um, my, my misgiving with the film to some degree is that it, it's, it, it knows it's a documentary that's going to tell the rise and fall of a character. And it, it almost forces itself to follow that pattern to the T. So in other words, yeah. we're not going to say anything negative about this person for the first hour and hour of this film or first two thirds, 45, 50 minutes <laughs> sure, of this film. Sure. And then we're going to flip it on a dime and tell you everything that he does wrong. And the whole last part of the movie becomes his downfall and redemption. Sure. It's very formulaic from that standpoint. Uh, I, I, so unfortunately, the whole first forty-five minutes I'm watching this, I'm like, okay, when's it coming? Tell me, tell me when the tell me when the bad side is. Tell me when the d- bad news is. Tell me when something bad happens, because I'm expecting it. Because mm-hmm. it's almost building up to be so perfect, and then to give you this big drop down in, in in your your perception of everybody. So I felt it was a little tried to play too much to that formula, and that was one thing I, I didn't care for as much about it. And I also thought the fall from grace was extremely dramatic and abrupt. I mean, there was no sense of it. There was no lead up to it. It was almost just like one moment you just hear one person on a testimony say, well, but you know, he wasn't all good. And then it was just like this litany of like this whole 15 minute section of everything he's doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it just seemed a little dramatic and, and, uh, I wish it had been a little more nuanced with, you know, showing us some good and bad along the way. And then we kind of naturally know that there's going to be some, some fall from grace later on. Um, however, it was entertaining. It was informative. Uh, I thought it ended nicely. Um, and uh, so I, I, I got a lot out of it. So I definitely don't want to put the film down. I just, sure. I just, I hate that it was so tried and true, so formulaic to this, this standard documentary biopic formula we've gotten so used to so chris what are your thoughts on this so i think you know i guess boringly <laughs> boringly so um you and i are kind of on the same page with this um i i liked i liked the film yeah um but the thing that did kind of stand out to me is kind of a thing that made me go well okay you know dial back my enthusiasm 
was like you were saying at about the 45 to 50 minute mark, they, I, I, I wasn't expecting, I just thought it was just a story. Like I didn't know it was going to play the, for lack of better terms, like the behind the music story arc, mm-hmm. <laughs> which they used to do on VH1 where they would do all these musicians. Yes. And it's the whole start from nothing, achieve fame and then have a fall from grace and then redemption. That was like, they made that in my mind. I mean, it's been around that whole idea has been around forever. I mean, Shakespeare used it, but, but VH1 was the people that really drove it in they my head. They really made it a formula. Oh, absolutely. They made it a style of documentary that I think everybody started adopting pretty right. after and that. And so I didn't, I wasn't really expecting with that. And I didn't think it was coming until like the 45, 50 minute mark. They kind of teased it a couple of times and it centers around, um, the donut King, Ted walking around a big house mm-hmm. and having wistful and having yeah, yeah. wistful moments. And it wasn't just like one little segment. Mm-hmm. They kind of teased it a couple of times. I'm like, and I mentioned to my wife, I was like, okay, the fall, what's he going to do bad? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, they keep teasing stuff. And, and she's like, Oh, why can't this just be a happy story? I'm like, I hope it is. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I just, they kind of tipped their hand a little bit. They foreshadowed it too much in a way, but like, like you're saying, they didn't let you know what, but they just teased it in a way that was kind of irritating to me. So I was like, you was expecting something and sure enough, you get it. Um, but you know, overall the film worked for me. There was a lot to like about it. I do believe it is the director, Alice Gu. I do believe it is her first feature film. Mm -hmm. She's worked in film, been a cinematographer, but I think this is her first feature. So, you know, Oh, really, really good. really good. Really good for a first it was, feature. I mean, it was a well-made documentary. Very, very polished. Very, the interviews were great. The 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 footage, the archival footage, historical footage woven in was wonderful. Mm-hmm. No, it was a really good. And again, finding a great subject matter that hadn't been shared as a story anywhere. Um, again, I just I felt like it was just a. It just it played to that documentary convention that, unfortunately, every documentary seems to want to follow these days sure. or biopic or anything else It's the fall rise and fall. And it just has to be exactly at the two thirds mark of the film, sure. show the fall and then show some sort of redemption at the end. And again, that was his story. So I get it. You're telling his story and that seems to be what his story was. It was a rise and rise fall. And fall. <laughs> um, right. So, but no, I think it was a really, really well-made documentary. I think she's got a great eye for this. I love the energy that was used in the film. I mean, especially opening credits. Opening credits were very Just unique. very energetic and just got you really excited. I mean, we're talking donuts. We're right. talking colorful, sugary donuts. So, of course, you know, it has to be kind of fun and light um, for the most part. So, um, I, I think she did a great job with it. I just, I wish I could have been a little more breaking with the convention of a standard documentary. I'll throw out some other positives um, that I liked. You know, you mentioned the story, but then there's a lot of background of the Cambodian conflict and the refugee situation, which was enlightening to me. I mean, I kind of knew about it, you know, but I'm not a really good student of history. And this, you know, kind of reinforced a lot of things that I thought I knew or were a little cloudy. They kind of cleared that away, which I appreciated. So I came away, yeah, learning a little bit about donuts, but also learning about the whole Cambodian conflict and the refugee mm-hmm. situation in this country. Um, it was unfortunately resonant in many ways with things going on today in America about how um, immigrants come here and sometimes how they're treated and, you know, having to start from nothing and work multiple jobs and just to try to make a living. So that I found that really interesting. I liked how they also spent time, a good bit of time with some other donut entrepreneurs that had started out 
under his like leadership, but mm-hmm. it, it spent time with them so that you recognize them. And they were, you know, they didn't just do one quote with them. They would come back and spend a little time with them. Really interesting. Um, also, it's an exploration and <laughs> a very honest warts and all exploration of the American dream. Because a lot of times you see things and it's like, especially, you know, you see tales that are all too common, like start from nothing, achieve fame, isn't that glad anybody can do this. And this was like, yeah, anybody can do it, but beware of what happens when you get to that. And, you know, they didn't try to soften once they did finally say how he had messed up and how he did messed up. They didn't soften it. They said, no, this is what happened. And it really messed some people well, up. And let's be honest. I mean, a little bit too. It's It was an interesting story to tell because it was an immigrant's story of the American dream. Right. But also that immigrants facing the downfall, the, the downside of the American dream, if you don't be careful. Sure. Which I don't think I've seen that before. I mean, you've seen somebody coming to America and you hear their story of how they got success or became but it's not that happy. Common. Didn't see a fall but you don't them. also see that we see normally a lot of people who grew up in America. Right. You take the American dream and then you see the fall because they Wolf just, of Wall Street type. Right. Thing. They yeah. they they abuse it. They sure. they 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 uh, know don't know how to manage and control success. Right. I don't think I've seen that with an immigrant coming into America and having that same rise and fall in a, the downfall of the American dream at times. So that was interesting. I do, I do think that was, again, that's why I think the story was so worth telling. Um, it, but I also just love the spirit at the end and that, yes, we're following Ted for most of the film, but then the film does a lot to share with us other stories, like you mentioned, other owners. And ultimately the story is about them. I feel True. like it is about, and about moving forward with yeah. generations taking over yes. shops and how they're moving into the next generation and idea and revolution in donut making and entrepreneurship and all yeah. that, like using Instagram and things like that. Yeah, so it was all. So it was good. really good. I did really. I did like the film. I respected the film. I think that she did a great job as a, a first time documentary director for sure. And I'm anxious to see what she gets working on next. Um, I just, you know, I, I just. I always want documentaries to try to do something a little different and, and not be too formulaic. It's the sure. same reason I get frustrated with some of the biopics that we see these days, which I feel like are just so by the numbers, got to follow this format and this this pattern. And I felt like this documentary held a little too close to that that structure. And uh, sure. we should have moved away from that, but otherwise I still really absolutely enjoyed it. Agreed. Okay. That is the Donut King. That is available in a lot of online virtual cinemas. I want to take this moment, Chris. I think we need to kind of let people know that there are some independent film theaters out there across America that are obviously having a tough time with this pandemic. It's been tough for all movie theaters, but I think independent theaters are really uh, having a tough go of it. But they've all moved to a lot of online virtual cinema offerings, meaning you could go to your favorite independent film cinema online, and there's a good chance they're going to have some online screenings that you can you can watch. This is one, The Donut King, I know is available in a lot of those online virtual cinema screenings. So, yeah. And actually, we have it available on the Foot Candle virtual right. cinema. We have a film society. Normally, we screen locally here in Hickory, North Carolina, but you know, theaters being having to be social distance and making it tough for our membership to come. 
we've been doing virtual screenings. So if you're somewhere and you can't find the Donut King and you're interested in it, you can uh, go to our website and we'll have a link to our virtual cinema there. And hopefully we do rotate films in and out, but hopefully uh, Donut King will still be there and you can watch it. That's great, Chris. Thank you. You're right. We do have an online virtual cinema we need to make people aware of because, uh, again, uh, for a few dollars, you can enjoy this film and uh, – take part in the kind of online conversations about the film as well. You even can watch a little uh, discussion that we had post film. If you chose to see it after watching the donut King. So definitely encourage you to check that out. And uh, on our online cinema footcandle.org, we'll have a link to it uh, available to go. So you can actually go right to our virtual online cinema along with several other selections we have available for you right now. Good call, Chris. All right. Well, that is our two reviews. Sounds like we're positive on both films. Yes. Sounds like I was higher uh, on David Copperfield. Uh, you you and I are both high. I might have been a little bit higher on it than you were, just a tad. Maybe, yeah. And then uh, Donut King, I think we were about on the same page with about that. About the same. So, but both good films. Yes. Just, you know. I would recommend both. Absolutely. I think they're both well, uh, well-deserved films to watch over the holiday season for sure. All right, Chris, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some movie news to share, some quick hit news updates about some different projects coming up or different directors that are getting involved with some new films. And then we will close out the show with each of us giving our recommendation for the episode, a film we think is worth checking out that we want to recommend for you. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We will be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you again uh, with the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival here to talk movies, we just finished our reviews of The Donut King and also of the personal history of David Copperfield, which we did find out during the break. Thank you to our intern for doing some some heavy lifting research there. Uh, David Copperfield is available on Amazon or other video on demand services for right. rental. Right. So you can rent it and watch it over the uh, anytime over the holidays. And then The Donut King, we already mentioned definitely check out independent online cinemas and even the foot candle online cinema will have it available Footcandle.org. go there and you can uh, get a link to our virtual cinema and actually watch the film right there on the convenience of your own device or TV or computer. All right, Chris, we got some news to cover. I will say it's not terribly big news. It's a lot more speculation on some projects coming up. Um, We're still in a situation where there's not a lot of films coming out in the theaters. Um, Things are getting still pushed back and held, but it is encouraging to hear some interesting projects that are at least still underway. So Chris, why don't we just kind of take turns? Why don't you start us off with something you find interesting in the movie news right now? So uh, John Krasinski, he of the office, but he's gone on to, you know, make a quiet place. And he is now he made he finished a quiet place, too. But that was has been delayed supposed to come out in 2020 got delayed twice. Now it's going to come out in uh, in April, supposedly of 2021. He's announced that he has has an idea and for a quiet place spinoff. So it's going to be adjacent. It's not necessarily going to be a quiet place three but it's going to somehow tie into that whole cinematic universe, even though there's only two films mm. so far. 
Um, so that was interesting that he's already like got an idea. He sold it. It's going to be made. And he announced Jeff Nichols, who directed Mud, Take Shelter, um, Midnight Special, mm-hmm. um, which is one of I really, really dug that movie that was sci-fi. And I think that was Nichols' first kind of dalliance with sci-fi. So mm-hmm. um, I know he can do it. Um, I'm really interested. So Jeff Nichols is attached to direct. He is attached to film? direct. Oh, yes. nice. Okay, good. Um, and that that's scheduled for a 2022 release. So like a year after they would release. So it. assuming that the Quiet Place sequel does come out next year, which is what has been pushed to. Correct. Um, then they're already going to start working on the spinoff film for the following year. Correct. Okay. Um, and okay. I, you know, I, I like Jeff Nichols. I think I pretty much like every film he's made. Um, so I'm interested to see what he does with a franchise film, which technically after two movies, you could, this will be the third. So you could call it that. Mm -hmm. Um, even though supposedly it's just tangential to the first two movies. Well, you know, they built with a quiet place and granted we haven't seen the sequel yet, but you know, the first film does build this kind of, you know, world that you can do a lot with. I mean, Mm -hmm. this idea of, you know, people living in these communities and, and noise is the thing that's attracting these creatures. And yeah, there's a lot you can do with that. You can follow a lot of different characters. You can take it from different angles, kind of like what they did with, you know, the walking dead, that kind of TV show that can have a lot of spinoffs because you basically created a world where now you can put new characters in that same world and follow them different ways. So yeah, I'm uh, sounds, sounds like a plan. I just want to see the second one. Yeah, that's, that's, I do that's too. all for me. I mean, I and just, honestly, you know. I you know the good thing, good bad thing, because it is a sequel, and I thought the first was original, and I really liked it. I kind of don't have high expectations for the second one, as no. long as it's okay, because it's like okay, the surprise of everything is kind of you know what the creatures look like, you know what the deal is. So I think it kind of has a tough thing to live up to, but in a way, I'm kind of. You know, as long as it's decent, I'll probably give it a pass. So, yeah, sure. So in a way, the one I'm most excited about would be the one Jeff, the Nichols, Jeff Nichols is doing one, that's yeah. just going to kind of somehow relate to it. Mm-hmm. So it'll be Agreed. interesting. Uh, okay, so while we're talking about films that have either been delayed or, you know, waiting to see when they come out, we had a big announcement, Chris, just a few days ago before as we record this, that I think – I don't think we can put a measuring stick on how big an announcement this is for cinemas for the next foreseeable future. Kind of like when Trolls World Tour came out. No, but that <laughs> no, was yeah, a you're big right. deal. No, you, I, I, I just think it's funny that Trolls World Tour <laughs> was this big harbinger of like the change in the movie the studio system. But it was. Um, this one's a big one. Uh, sure. So we talked about the, this film before. Wonder Woman 1984. Now, regardless of your own uh, desire to see Wonder- this film or not. Woman. Yes, it is Wonder Woman. It is a okay. it is a big film. Right, it's a sequel right. to Wonder Woman. Oh, gotcha. This is 1984. Gotcha. Um, regardless of your take of superhero movies, regardless of whether you're interested in this film or not, the fact that the decision was made that they're going to release this movie has been delayed many, many times. It was supposed to come out, I think, back in May. It was going to be a big tentpole summer summer sure. movie. Big expectations. The first one did really well and got was well, well regarded. Um, it's been moved, it's been moved, it's been moved. Even the director went online saying, or went on um, record saying, this film will come out in theaters, which is true, it will. <laughs> However, but... on December 25th, it's coming out both in theaters that can actually show the films, and it's going to be on HBO Max for one month. 
And I think I saw where it's actually, is it premiering in China prior to premiering here? Like a week earlier, yes. Interesting. So other countries have it in all their theaters. I mean, they're they're showing it, you know, a week in advance. Uh, here in America, it's going to be shown at theaters, but it's also going to be HBO Max for anybody who has a subscription. Now, if you do the math on it, HBO Max, I get it for free as part of a bundle with, with something else I have. Um, but if you bought it straight out, I think it's 15 bucks a month, hmm. maybe. So you start doing the math. If two people are going to watch Wonder Woman for you know twi- one time, automatically it's paid for. You know it's worth getting HBO Max for at least one month. Now, obviously, HBO Max is counting on people getting a subscription and staying with it for beyond that. But so be it. Uh, how do you feel about this, Chris? I mean, are, how are you going to be watching Wonder Woman 1984? Because I know you you were. I think you're kind of looking forward to the film. I know I am. Um, yeah, I mean. Um I would like to say, and you know, it all depends come December 25th. (laughs) Um, I'd like to see it in the theater. Mm -hmm. Um, What scares me is I like everyone to have equal access to movies. Um, I know some things we've talked about on here are Netflix originals, but you know, in my idea world, ideal world, everything would come out to a theater and then it would go to, you know, maybe second run theaters so people could have a chance they didn't want to pay the money to go see it in the big theater. And then eventually it hits Redbox and Netflix and stuff and Amazon Prime and all these other services. But I like the idea of everybody having access to it. Mm-hmm. And if it hits HBO, which is you have to pay for that. I mean, you have to pay. But and then theaters, but people can't go because it's closed. I just I hate the fact that I feel like some people will be. Some people won't get to see it, um, yeah. but I think it will. I think it's it is definitely going to be a huge thing for the industry as far as how they do releases going forward. Well, I I think that's the bigger news here is that I think every other major studio release that was kind of being pent up and hold back. I'm thinking Marvel's Black Widow. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking some other bigger movies that have kind of been holding and waiting are going to really say, okay, they're watching. Let's see yeah. if uh, if if all of a sudden tons of people get HBO Max subscriptions and HBO's happy with the numbers and we still have a decent amount of people going out to the movie theaters where they can to see it, then maybe that's the strategy we have to follow going forward. But I do think that's, I think ultimately this is bad news for movie theaters still because I think everybody was waiting for Wonder Woman 1984 to be the one that will bring people back to the theater. Sure. And now you've cut out a big reason why people would go to the theater. I mean, I, I don't know how I'm going to go on this. I mean, I'll to, like you said, I'll wait next month and see how things look and feel. But, you know, I will be awfully tempted if I don't feel like going out to the theater. I've already got HBO Max. Hit the play button it's, and it's, I'm watching it. it and, yeah, I don't blame anybody that watches it that way. I mean, because if you already have a subscription, free is free. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So I, I, I get that, you know. Yeah. I mean, free as far as you already got the right. subscription. It's already a sunk yeah. cost. You as opposed already, to yeah. taking the entire family over the holidays yeah. out to a theater. I like, mean, again, that was a, that's yeah. a, I've got my, my, my two boys are adults now. So that's a $40, uh, $45 ticket Plus price. popcorn and everything. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. tell me I can already use my $15 a month HBO Max subscription to watch it. All right. Again, and I'm a movie theater guy. I, I am That's too. why it's so disappointing and frustrating about this whole situation. Is we that run a cinema society. <laughs> I know. I want to be in a theater. Sure. But I certainly don't blame, and uh, me and myself may be guilty of, taking advantage of convenience when sure. it's available like it is. So, Sure. I do think it's bad news for theaters. Yeah. I do think uh, if more big studios decide to do that in the next several months, 
it's going to be a much, much longer haul for theaters to get profitable again and get open for business at full capacity. Sure. Even with pandemic, let's say we got a vaccine and uh, this time next year, things are kind of starting to return back to normal. I think the theaters are still going to be the ones taking a lot longer to recover from all this. Agreed. Okay, let's try to move on. Speaking of, by the way, Chris, your movie Freaky, you know, the one that you uh, mentioned in a trailer topless a few weeks ago with Vince Vaughn, the body swapping horror (laughs) film. Yes. It's been the number one movie in America two weeks in a row. Okay. It made $1.2 million, which generally speaking, $1.2 million would maybe not even make the top 10 movie wise, but... Given it where is we are, one of the few new movies out in the It theater. is. So if anybody's going to the theater, they're going to see Freaky. And so. I I have come close on a couple occasions to masking up and hand sanitizing and social distancing and the ticket line and going, but I haven't done it yet. Um, I do want to see that film. Um, so yeah. I may try to go see it. You know, but it's very gory. You know, right. I mean, you know, I've I, heard gore doesn't bother you as bad. No, you, no. Especially you and I, I are scared of attitude. They're not. It's yeah. kind of you and I are scared cats about just horror in general. But it's not as many jump scares yeah. as it is just gore. OK. So. All right, Chris, you got another uh, another movie story for us? Yes. Uh, this we've talked about, you know, movie business. So this is a film that was actually able to happen during the pandemic. Florida Project Director Sean Baker shot a secret movie with a guy, Simon Rex. I'm not really familiar with him. He was in the uh, scary movie movies, um, but he's kind of a comedian. He, it's going to be a dark comedy, which will be kind of new for Sean Baker because Tangerine and Florida Project are very gritty, reality-based, you know, kind of straightforward dramas. The Tangerine had some comedic moments and lighter moments in it, True. but it was still couched in a much more a dramatic situation. Yeah. Right. It's called, um, well, at least right now it's called red rocket is the name of it. Okay. And, um, I'm looking forward to it. And it was cool because it's one of the first ones I've heard announced. I think M night Shyamalan has worked on some during the pandemic as well, but it's encouraging to see that people can follow guidelines and still be able to make art and still be able to make some movies for us to see. So I was excited to, here that he had uh, yeah. completed a film. So he's well, looking for distribution, which will hopefully come shortly after the new year, maybe, and we'll get to see it. Well, knowing that Sean Baker made Tangerine, shot it on iPhones. True. Automatically tells you that he's he's adapted a little bit more guerrilla style filmmaking, a little bit low budget, a little bit probably smaller production crew needed. True. So I would hope that that kind of skill set helps to make a film that, you know, obviously it's a little more tough to make it right now with guidelines and restrictions you need to follow for safety. Um, but I would hope that he can still turn out a really good, good film given that. So good. Um, I'll mention one here, Chris. I know it's one that you probably have on your list already, but I'm a, I'll, I'll steal your thunder. And mention it. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> the predator franchise. Yes. Uh, did you see the most recent iteration? No, don't bother. actually, I was going to mention, uh, there's been four films, which I had to kind of go back and recall that 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 was the, the truth because I did not really. I think the last two kind of blurred together for me. I knew there have there only been four. Well, technically, just four official Predator movies. Okay, that's not counting Predator versus Aliens. Okay. That's a whole different thing. Okay, there's the 1987 original with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Seen it. Yep. There's Predator Two from 1990 with Danny Glover. Seen it. I saw it too. Wasn't that good? But it's fine. <laughs> Then there was Predators. Have not seen, but am really curious about it. Yeah, that's the one with Adrian Brody. Yes. From 2010. Heard people hype it. Yeah. Then there's The Predator 
which, which is was 2018. Terrible. Is it really? Yes. You saw it. I have seen it. Okay, that's the one Shane Black directed. I know. Which is surprising. Yep. Uh, Shane Black, interestingly enough, was in the cast of the original Predator in 1987. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, he was one of the crew members. He was one of the guys who got killed early. <laughs> right. <on>. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, which I think is just funny. It is. Um, so they're making a fifth one. Uh, don't know what variation of the word predator is going to be used for the title. <laughs> a predator. Right. <laughs> Another predator. <laughs> so whatever it may be. Predator, here we go again. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it, uh, what's encouraging is uh, the director is Dan Trachtenberg, who you may recall from doing the 10 Cloverfield Lane movie, which yes. I'm a big fan of. I am too. I, I think that's a really good suspense movie, even though I don't care for the way it ended and tried to dovetail into the Cloverfield universe. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I, I could have done without the ending, but everything up to that point was perfect. Sure. Uh, so, so well done. So I'm excited that he's being tapped to be this. Uh, he's someone I know we used, I used to listen to him. I don't know if he did or not when he, had a show on, on the internet, the Totally yeah, Rad Show. Absolutely. Movie and video game reviews. And then he did a short film based on the game Portal that supposedly got a lot of great attention. And then he um, he has, in addition to 10 Cloverfield Lane, he did an episode of Black Mirror. And he's also done some episodes, or at least one episode of the show The Boys, which I really like on Amazon TV. So he's done a lot of cool stuff, a lot of sure. genre, genre work. Um I'm curious, but then again, if you had told me Shane Black was doing a new Predator movie, I'd been like, well, I'm curious about that too. Right. So we'll see. Um, <laughs> somewhere I'd read that the Shane Black Predator film had a lot of production studio problems. production interference. Um, Got you. I'd like to think that's the reason. It kind of just really didn't turn out good. But sure. um, Interestingly, I don't know if you saw this in the news article that you'd read about it. Um, I saw references, but then, then didn't dig deep because I knew you were going to do the story and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Apparently, Dan Trachtenberg has been on Twitter and he's like, oh, you know, I'm excited this news has come out. However, I'm a little disappointed because there was apparently some way they were going to tease it or there was some, I don't know if it was a campaign or they were going to reference it in some other film or something like, I don't know. And he's like, so kind of bummed because they've been working on this for like four years. He's like, so kind of bummed about that. But. I'm excited that everybody's excited about a new Predator movie. So yeah, that was interesting. I was curious what their rollout plan was for announcing it. But uh, I'm also just very curious, again, is it going to be a true direct sequel to the original? Is it going to be a remake? Is it going to be a... Or what? I don't know. So that's I'm kind of curious. I'm always curious when you've got a franchise where the first film is kind of considered a little bit more of a classic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is a good film. I, yeah. You got to look at. No, Arnold, I, I like it. It's one of the best Arnold Schwarzenegger '80s action movies that was done. It is one of those that if I see it on, which I don't watch a lot of cable TV, but if I, I'll watch it till it's finished. Yeah, John McTiernan really like was it. the director. It's kind of in his prime. I mean, it was a good. It was a really, really well done movie. Right. Um, and then it's had sequels that have just been kind of either diminishing quality returns or just not getting any box office attention at all. Sure. Um, so I am curious to see what their approach is going to be. Reboot it, continue on, but ignore some of the sequels or or what? Don't know. We will see. Should be interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, Chris, you got anything else for us? Nope. That was the last of mine with uh, the uh – Sean Baker thing. So. Yeah, I think that's, that's all too. Okay. Just I know uh, I know you had meant or we talked earlier that um, just a couple of quick notes here. Uh, M Night Shyamalan's working on films. He's actually completed a couple films during the pandemic, which I 
I got to admit, I like this whole run and gun style of filmmaking that Shyamalan seems to be adopting these last several years. He did it with The Visit. Mm-hmm. He did it with, um, what was the other one? Well, a little bit with uh, Split. Yeah. Well, I think gl- it was a Glass kind of a, was pretty much all shot in one location, but that was bigger budget though, I guess. Yeah. Well, Glass, Glass, I'm, I'm not going to get back into that one. <laughs> um, but I think in general, his last few films, it's been kind of nice to see him just go smaller budget, sure. smaller films, a little bit more of the Bloom House kind of effect to it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he's worked on and shot two different films during this pandemic I think situation. One which, of them's called Old. Yes. Or Older. I think Old. old and very Something. little we know about sure. plot or anything. So as always, he's still going to be a curiosity for me. I'm still going to be anxious to see what he does. And then we also mentioned too that, uh, or before the recording, we were talking about Black Panther 2. Uh, obviously, that's a situation where Chadwick Boseman passed away, yeah. uh, untimely death there, unfortunately. And, you know, you never want to like sit here and dwell on what are you going to do with a movie character after someone's passing. It's not in good taste. But now I think Marvel's finally to the point of saying, okay, Yes, we are going to make a Black Panther 2. I mean, we kind of have to. It's a big film. Well, and a sequel had been planned. Yeah, we so. are definitely planning a sequel. The rumor is right now that it's going to be uh, featuring his sister, who was in the film, in the first film, who was more of their scientist yeah, at their tech. Um, having her play the lead character, which I'm all for. I think that'd be great. Although I thought about it. I mean, you know, if you really want to get specific about it, I think in Black Panther is a fully costumed character. And there's many times in like the comics where, you know, he's in costume all the time. And so there could have been ways if they wanted to have a Black Panther that you don't really ever need to see unmasked. I'm glad they're not going with the digital recreation. Yeah. That would have been unfortunate, I think, and and a tough thing for a lot of a lot of fans. So anxious to see where they go with that, but I'm sure they'll have a good direction with it and uh, should be entertaining all the same. All right. Well, that's all of our movie news then. So. Chris, I think we're to the last point of our show where you and I like to both give out a film recommendation for people at home to listen and watch. Uh, so we're approaching the holidays. You know, I know people have been a little more homebound than normal the last several months already, but here in the holidays, probably even more so. And so let's give some recommendations of films people may want to check out. Do you want to, you want to go first for us? Sure. So <laughs> coming off the news item Alan was talking about, how do I feel about HBO Max and exclusivity? And I was like, eh, not the biggest fan. Well, uh, we reviewed, as you may recall, uh, Borat's subsequent movie film. That was an Amazon release, and you that's where you got to watch it. Well, while I had my free membership for the 30 days, <laughs> I um, jumped on and watched another film, which I had heard about but didn't have the option to see because it was only on Amazon. Uh, it's called The Vast of Night, by directed by Andrew Peter Patterson. And basically it's a lower budget sci-fi. Um, the story goes at the dawn of the space race, two radio obsessed teens discover a strange frequency over the airwaves in what becomes the most important night of their lives and in the history of their small town. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of dialogue based. Um, you don't, and there's just a lot of mystery going on. Um, I really like how the film ended and that's kind of all I really want to say about it. Mm. Um, and for, you know, I think it's maybe this person's first film. It was really well shot. Um, there's a lot, there's some tracking sequences that are really impressive, especially for, you know, a smaller independent film. Offhand, I didn't recognize any of the, the, uh, the actors or actresses. So that again says like the people that were cast, I thought were really well cast. 
Um, so I don't know. Uh, I've liked the film. It's called The Vast of Night. Yes, with a big, bigger budget and a bigger cast, it could have been, you know, who knows what it would have been. But I really like this kind of smaller indie film. It's called The Vast of Night. And as far as I know, it is still unfortunately exclusive to Amazon Prime. But if you've already got a membership, you're you're set. So. Hmm. The Vast of Night. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that at all, but thank you for the recommendation, Chris. I'll be, I've already added it to my watch list, so there you go. thank you very much. Uh, so I'm going to go a little more, I'm sure, one that a lot of people have seen, but we are approaching the holiday season. I would be remiss if I did not throw out a recommendation, which I'm sure I have recommended years in the past. I don't know when I last did this film. But as we get close to the holiday season, I always get excited to watch my one of my favorite holiday films, a little more non-traditional uh, holiday film, but still one I get a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun with. It is the 1988 uh, version of a Christmas Carol called Scrooged. This is the Bill Murray film, directed by Richard Donner. Um, I have a lot of history with this film. I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out. I was on a high school debate uh, t- tournament uh, trip. Did you hold a debate about the film? <laughs> I almost did. I wanted to because <laughs> I remember coming out of the film and, and not caring for it as much. Okay, and uh, I think it was because I just wanted I wanted a super funny Bill Murray uh, slapstick f- uh, film, and this film actually has a lot more heart than yeah. I think I was ready for as a sixteen year old or however old I was. <laughs> like, at oh, the time. it's too mushy. <laughs> I know. Uh, but going back and watching it some more, yeah, it just it just works for me. I love Bill Murray. This is Bill Murray at his Bill Murrayest. I mean, he he, you could tell sometimes Richard Donner just lets him go. He says, "Look, just do your thing. Just here's the camera. I'm going to turn it on. You just do, you your, do thing your thing out there." Sure. And I like the moments where he does get to kind of just run with it. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is in the film. Has a great part. Um, Karen Allen plays Claire, kind of the love interest. It is a true telling of a Christmas Carol. I mean, it follows the same thing. But I love the 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 idea of. He's a TV producer putting on a live performance of The Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, he himself is living through the same story. Um, I'd actually forgotten that part of it. I've seen Scrooge and I liked mm-hmm. it, but I'd actually forgotten that part of it. So. Yeah, he's a TV. He's putting on a live presentation of A Christmas Carol. Gotcha. So you're alternating between a stage performance, which is very much the Victorian style. Sure. But he's trying to gloss it up and amp it up for a bigger audience. Gotcha. While he himself is actually going through the three ghosts and the past, present, and future, <laughs> it just it just works. It was it's creative. It's a it's a fun telling of that story. It's Bill Murray. Um, yes, the ending may be a little schmaltzy. I mean, some people say it's a little over the top, sappy. It works for me. It gets me. It gets a little dusty when I watch the end of that film. <laughs> you know, sure, I'm all for it. It's a great for me holiday film in the last uh, 10, 15 minutes. Just bring it on home and just look make at, it look work. Look at you so. tying in the review of Copperfield with Scrooged, Charles Dickens. Very, oh my gosh, very I didn't nice. even realize I did that. <laughs> wow. No, I'm sure you have. I'm that very planned. impressed with myself <laughs> that I did that. Um, yeah, no, that was completely unplanned. Completely well, good unplanned. job. But yeah, I guess I'm a big Dickens fan. I just you know had a lot to say positive about his his uh, his work today. Uh, but anyway, Richard Donner directing. You know, if you don't remember, Richard Donner also directed the first two Superman movies, which I'm big fans of. He did The Goonies, big mm-hmm. fan. Uh, he's a good director. He he really hit his stride in the 80s, and this is one of his later films in the in that time period. But still, I feel like really good. 
it's a little sloppy. It's a little uh, slapdash at, at times. I feel like it's a little stitched together and some scenes don't always transition from one to another as cleanly. And I feel like there's probably a lot of editing and a lot of reworking from the studio. But overall, at the end of the day, I think it's a very enjoyable film. And it's a it's a constant in my house over the holiday season. So that's Scrooged. I'm sure you can watch it anywhere. You can watch I mean, it everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. It's it's probably going to be on TBS or some cable channel like nonstop over the holidays anyway. So. Got you. All right. So that wraps us up for today. So we had some positive reviews of the films, The Personal History of David Copperfield and the documentary, The Donut King, both available online for viewing. Remember, The Donut King, you can actually see through the Foot Candle online cinema. Go to footcandle.org to find that. Uh, a lot of movie news items we talked through, some different projects coming up, some interesting director's work, uh, films we're curious about seeing what happens and when they come out. And then our recommendations. Chris recommended The Vast of Night, available on Amazon. I recommended Scrooged, which is available everywhere. You need to find <laughs> a film. So so with that, I think we are done. Chris, how can anybody get a hold of us if they want to talk about any of our opinions or ideas? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I are both on Letterboxd, where you can track what we're seeing. Um, as always, we do appreciate star ratings or reviews that you can share with friends on iTunes. That helps us reach new listeners. Uh, we are also available on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. All right. Lots of ways you can find us. And again, recommend that you check out also the Mesh.TV podcast network to find other podcasts or back episodes of this particular show, if you're so inclined. We have quite a few. We do have quite a few. <laughs> so what I kind of tell people when they ask about the podcast, say, look, if you happen to see a film that um, we have reviewed in the past, you know, uh, go back and download that episode and listen to our discussion of it and kind of give us your thoughts if you agree or disagree after you've seen the film that we discussed as well. So films uh, films live a lot longer. So, you know, that's the good thing is that they're available online. So are our podcast episodes. You can go back and listen to any of those reviews anytime you wish. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll look forward to talking to you next time here on Foot Candle Films. See you in the social distance ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.